horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now here's your host, Ed Meyer. And good evening and welcome to Winning Ponies. I'm your host, Ed Meyer, and we are here each and every Thursday, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, depending on which side of the coast you are on, and we are going to be talking about, you got it, the sport of kings. We've been enjoying the holidays just like you have for the last two weeks, but we are back in action, and we're glad to be back here. And as a note to all Winning Pony users, you did not see something on your account that was an error. To all Winning Pony users, you saw a 10 winning credit. These are the credits that you can actually use to purchase the handicapping predictions added to your account to kick off 2009. Nope, it was not an error. It was a thank you all from Winning Ponies. There were 10 winning credits, and we hope you use them to a prosperous 2009. And it was a very nice way to kick off your account for the new year, so uh, just our way of saying thank you to our most valuable customer, you. As we begin 2009, we're going to be talking about the wide, wide world of racing. Tonight, we got our special guest, Jason Beam. He's going to be the voice, is the voice, and marketing guru at Portland Meadows. He's a really sharp guy who really knows the game. I think you're really going to like listening to him. He knows exactly what's going on. I call him the golden tonsils. This guy can call races, and trust you me, give it about five years, you're going to be listening to this guy on the big-time circuits. Dangerous Dan's going to be calling in. Our man, Dangerous Dan, will be calling in with some picks that click. And you're going to want to write these down. Dangerous, he always gets a little hyper up there because he is really into racing. And this guy's picks have been really doing well. Saw him at the track last week. He was smoking them as usual. And you're going to definitely want to write these down. And then we finish up with some Hot selections for the upcoming weekend, so stay tuned for that by yours truly. And the last time, it was only two weeks ago, but you can always go back on podcasts and check. Didn't do too bad at all. No pats on the backs, but that's just what it's all about. Winning ponies makes it that much easier. Once again, I'm going to toss out our number at the beginning of the show. It's 1-888-346-9144. Once again, one 888 Three four six nine one four four. If you want to give us a call, you want to get on board. You got a hot one? You got a comment? You got a, an opinion? You want to say something? Just give us a call and let us know. And best of all, I like to kick off the beginning of the show, two thousand and nine, with our weekly trivia question. And here it is: Put on your thinking caps because only big brains can apply. And you can once again one eight 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 three four six nine one four four. Doesn't cost anything, and just remember, have a little fun with it. And if you got a shot, take a shot, because this is going to be a toughie. Okay, here it is. And if you get this, by the way, you're going to pick up some great Winning Ponies gear. Who was the first horse to beat Seattle Slough? Who was the first horse to beat Seattle Slough? I'm even going to give you the year. 1977. Written by a little rider by the name of Jean Cruget, trainer by Billy Turner. And that was who was the first horse to beat Seattle Slough. So that's kind of neat to, uh, you know, it's, it's for, the, uh, for the handicappers that are really out there and they really know their stuff, and for the ones that just want to, you know, kind of lay back and take your shot, take a swing at it. And before we really get uh, into the meat of things, I want to touch on the biggins. The biggins were smoking. We're going to talk about a few of each day of January here. Friday, January 2nd, Santa Anita Race 8, Super High Five. Get a load of this. 69,859.80. You heard it correctly. 69,859.80. Not too shabby for the Super High Five. Hawthorne Race 9, a Superfecta Key, 2,924.40. Penn National Race 6, a mere 2,602.80 for a Super Key. In Philly Park, race eight, $2,480 for a Superfecta. And the Golden Gate races three through eight, five of six, pays $2,276.60. I believe we have our first car on the line. We have Mr. Ryan Patterson. Good evening, Ryan. How you doing? 
Good to hear from you, my man. What's happening? All right. I like to hear it. Let's do it up. Ooh, that is very, very close. That is very, very close. I'm even going to give it a little bit more. It's a 1977 Swaps at Hollywood Park. John Kruger aboard, and you were very close, Ryan. And also, before I, because I recognize your name online here, you are doing some blogging, correct? And where can we find that at? Well, what? Excuse me. You have an article online. No, I mean at a major publication here as of late. And we can dig you up on greateststakes.com, and we can get, do you have any selections? Do you have any just uh, predictions? What do you have for us? He is that. Like 70% of the time. So she's three to one morning line favorite. I mean, you're not going to break the bank with her, but she looks tough. I'll take eight bucks, won't you? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll take eight bucks any day. Yeah, definitely. I got an exacta trifecta and a daily double on the website. I love to hear. It. So we can get that on greateststakes.com. That's right. I keep aboard uh, with everybody that's out there blogging because sometimes you find some of the best riders. Uh, I'm not going to say hidden. They're coming to the forefront. Ryan was in the Blood Horse. And uh, I think he's an up-and-coming rider, and I think he's somebody that you're going to want to pay attention to. Ryan, thanks for the call, and thanks for the try, and I'll toss it back out there again, my friend. All right, thanks, Ed. Talk to you soon, my boy. That was Ryan Patterson. He was calling in. He's a blogger and doing very well. Well, again, I want to toss out the trivia question, and he was pretty close there. Who was the first horse to beat beat Seattle Slough? I'm going to say the 1977 Swaps. I'm even going to give you the... Give it a year in the race. I'm gonna. It is a pretty tough question. But on with the uh, biggins we go, and we go on to Saturday, January third. Turf Paradise Race Five of Superfecta, twenty thousand eight eighteen eighty. Pretty smoking hot. Penn National Race Number Six a Superfecta Box, seven thousand eight eighty four even. Charlestown Races One through Via Pick Three, two thousand two hundred and seventy eight even. Not bad for a Sunday. And if you notice, the tracks are just not the the marquee tracks. They kind of spread all over. Charlestown on January 4th, race number four. If you had the Superfecta, you took down 6,052.60. Delta Downs race three on the same day, a Superbox, 4,923 even. Tampa Bay Downs, a Super Key in race number three, $4,240.80. Pretty good, if I say so myself. Monday, January 5th, Fairgrounds, Race 10, Super Vector Key, just a mere 635 bucks. Nobody wants that. I'll take it all day long. Tuesday, January 6th, Portland Meadows, the place where our guest caller will be calling from, Mr. Jason Bean. Super Vector in Race 5, 2,621.80. Tampa Bay Downs, Race 5, a Super Vector Key, 2,389.40. Not bad for a Tuesday. And then on to Wednesday, we go Turfway Park, race number nine, super high five, 25,519.80. The biggins have been smoking hot, and you can go online, and you can take a look for yourself. I mean, if you have any doubts, you can take a look for yourself. They're out there, and you can sign in, sign up. It is free to do so, and you can take a look at the last year. Santa Anita on the same day, race number eight, the super high five key, $4,700, not a bad day's work at the office. And then we tried on to Thursday, January 8th, Tampa Bay Downs, race number seven, a Superfecta, 3698.40. And that caps up the biggins. And I have to say, that is not a bad day at the office. Once again, I'm going to toss it out the trivia question because it's kind of tough. And I have to say that uh, I had to do a little bit of research myself and you know, with, with that in mind, I want to give you as much that I possibly can. Who was the first horse to actually beat Seattle Slough? I'm going to tell you it's the 1977 Swaps. Maybe that will help you. Let me toss out a little bit of uh, information, news that is around our great sport of racing. Total U.S. handle lowest in a decade, hampered by a 20.3%. Incredible. 
drop in handle in December. Wagering in the United States declined 7.2% in 2008, their record lowest overall handle in a decade. That is bad signs. And, and here we go. And it's a great article, but you know what they're attributing it to? The economy. Can you believe that? The economy, as if we didn't know. But the industry itself is suffering. Suffering. The annual handle represented a 9.9% decline from the record 15,178,510,116 registered in 2003. And this was the lowest recording for the U.S. handle since an estimated 13.115 million was wagered in 1998. So that is some pretty, pretty daunting information there. TrackNet poised to cut off Nevada. TrackNet Group is poised to cut off the signals to 80 Nevada casinos January 7th unless a new agreement is met. Guys, we don't need any more divisive tactics. We need to come together at a time when we should be handling and, and or, excuse me, holding hands more and coming together with un- unity. We are starting to divide, and we don't want to cut off Nevada. Santa Anita surface, it is under the microscope. With five breakdowns, including three fatalities in the first five days of racing, Santa Anita synthetic surface, again, under the microscope. Here's a little little tidbit for you. Thoroughbred time is really, really good. Has synthetic services affected your interest in Southern Cal racing? I am more interested, 14.59%. Compared. Unchanged, 38%. Less interested, 46%. So the people are paying attention to what is happening to the synthetic revolution. Well, it is time to head out to our first break. When we return, we're going to be talking to the Golden Tonsils, the man, the myth, the legend, from Portland Meadows, Mr. Jason Beam, here on Winning Ponies. are fighting to defend. While many talk about these ideals without action, they are just empty words. If you think America's military families deserve more, log on to thanksusa.org. It's a great way to thank our troops and give military families the gift of education. Thanksusa.org. Scholarships for America's military families. You can make a difference. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right Got it! With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover, everything. cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, Ed Meyer. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with Ed or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com. Now back to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. And welcome back once again to Winning Ponies. I'm your host, Ed Meyer. Each and every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Talking about the sport of kings, and as you heard, you can dial us up at one triple eight three four six nine one four four, or you can shoot me an email at ed at winningponies.com. Let me throw out a trivia question of the week once again. Who was the first horse to beat Seattle Slough? And if you can answer that, dial us up, and we will hook you up with some really cool Winning Ponies gear. But during this segment, we are honored to have aboard as our special guest of the week, the golden voice of Portland Meadows, Mr. Jason Beam. Good afternoon, Jason. Good evening, Jason. Doggy doggy, what's going on? How are you, my man? I'm doing good, man. we still got a little daylight, so it's still afternoon here in the West Coast. <laughs> it's afternoon your time. I'm a little messed up on this whole time thing, but you know what? I'm living with it. 
Yeah, try living in Cincinnati and having family in in Washington. It gets confusing. (laughs) I bet it does. Jason, I kind of prepped it up as you're the golden tonsils, you're the man, the myth out there. You're doing so many things, and uh, and you're really making a mark at Portland Meadows. Could you tell our listeners how you came to be a part of the racing world? Uh, My old man used to take me to Long Acres since I was a a little shaver back in the 1980s, and... uh, we were. He was a, a better, and uh, and that was about his only role in the game. And uh, I kind of just always tagged along with him to the track. And uh, remember going to Longacres in the you know the golden days of uh, Gary Bays and Gary Stevens and all those guys there, and uh, Gary Boulanger, all the Garys. There's a lot of Garys at uh, Longacres. But uh, yeah, when he uh, when I was in college, I kind of got away from the game a little bit. And then when my dad got sick uh, in 2001, I started going back with the track uh, or to the track with him just because. Uh, it was kind of the only thing he was really up to doing at the time, and uh, after he passed away, I just kind of kept going. And I uh, went to law school for a year and hated it and uh, decided to work, uh, do something fun for a living, so I got into racing. To, uh, I was a turf rider at Emerald Downs, and I was uh, started practicing on the roof. And uh, six months later, I moved to Ohio and uh, started my announcing career. Well, I'll tell you what, for a young guy that's uh, quite a resume builder, and I'd have to say your dad would be awfully proud of you. As you said, a little shaver going to the races. I think as we've all started out with one way, shape, or form with a family member going, but I'd have to say he'd be awfully proud of you for what you've accomplished in the game thus far, and really the game has only begun for you. In, in your career, who would you say is the biggest influence for you? Uh, as far as uh, announcing and horse racing, I would say probably Robert Geller, just as far as being a uh, an overall support for me. I mean, when I first uh, started practicing, I would just sneak over into the suites uh, at Emerald Downs when we had nothing going on and uh, practice going into my little tape recorder. And uh, it kind of took me uh, a couple weeks to get up the gut to take them because, I mean, I, I still think he's one of the top callers in, in America. If you, if you want to listen to a guy that never, ever, ever makes a mistake, it's uh, it's Robert at Sunland and Emerald Downs. But uh and uh, he was very encouraging. I was worried he was going to be like, you know, wow, this is terrible, and, you know, go sit down. But he really uh, supported me and kind of uh, just gave me the uh, the gun-ho to keep going and practicing, and uh, he was very encouraging. And uh, But there's been a lot of guys that have been just so, so nice to me and, and helpful along the way. Vic Stoffer's always been able to uh, give me good pieces of advice and words of encouragement, John Dooley, and uh, just a handful of guys. Travis Stone, one of my good buddies, uh, he kind of came in the same time I did, and, We've always, you know, had a nice relationship of talking on the phone and kind of going through the initial experiences in the game here, and so uh, he's been a good confidant throughout this whole deal as well. But uh, yeah, it's been a blast. I mean, I still can't believe I get paid to go to the racetrack. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when you were at River Downs, it was hard to believe that uh, you were just a new man on the scene. I mean, the people really took to you, and there was an immediate, immediate connection with your calls. I mean, they were really heartfelt. They were really action-packed and a whole lot of fun. But aside from that. You had some big doings up at Emerald Downs, or excuse me, Portland Meadows. Forgive me, you uh, you alluded to Emerald Downs with Golden Gate and Prairie Me- or Predator. Wow, PM. Breath, Augie. I, I'm trying, I'm trying my best with that one. But you had the Jockey Jockey Challenge. Yeah, no, we had a, it was an outstanding event, and I, I got to admit I was a little nervous going into it just because we are we're a very small track up here. I mean, we're we're a magna owned track, which is nice because we do have the the parent company kind of behind us, but uh, I mean, it was just a couple of years ago where Portland Meadows literally was running three days a week and, and handling anywhere from a hundred to two hundred thousand a day, and and uh, that was kind of all it was. And you know, in the last few years, with changing our schedule around and doing a lot more promotions here, it's uh, the product has gotten better and better. Our handle's gone up over a hundred percent each of the last couple of years. I mean, basically doubled. And uh, you know, a couple of years ago, a million dollar day handle at Portland was was just never ever going to happen, and we've had two of them in the last week. But uh, the Jockey Challenge, it turned out fantastic. We had a great crowd turnout. We had HRTV up. Gary Stevens and John White were doing a, a live remote. And uh, it, was, it was so neat. All the old jockeys, Richard Wright, who's a longtime trainer around here, and Jerry Takeda, a lot of the old, uh, you know, Playfair, Yakima Meadows, uh, Portland Meadows guys were, were in town. It was really, it was almost just kind of like a celebration of Northwest racing. And uh, Russell Bays and, and some of the guys from Golden Gate were nice enough to come up for the event. I mean, there was 20000 up for grabs, so it's not like they... Uh, came up just to, uh, you know, to sample the rain and the Northwest uh, food, but it was uh, it was really a lot of fun. I mean, for me, the personal highlight was getting to call Russell Bays on a winter just because I remember uh, being a kid and watching him on the on the satellites from Golden Gate and stuff, and when he would come up to Long Acres or to Emerald Downs, and uh, to get to uh, to call Russell the muscle with a win was pretty neat. 
Oh, I bet it was. And, and you know, and, and I apologize, and I don't mean any type of uh, disrespect. When I look at PM, I, 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 I can think of Prairie Meadows, Portland Meadows, and about two or three others. But uh, as a man who wears many hats at Portland Meadows, what is your favorite part of the job when you pull into the parking lot each day? Oh, it's no question calling the races. I mean, it, the way I look at it is I do the other stuff as a means to calling the races. I mean, when I worked at River Downs, I, I, would, uh, I did stuff in the entry box and in their uh, race ops in the morning doing entries and stuff. And it was uh, strictly as a means of getting a job as a race caller. When I, when I took that job, Jack was like, you know, you can call races, but you got to do this too. And so that was, uh, that was fine by me. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, uh, I mean, my heart is in announcing races. It's what I want to do. I, I had a little bit of a hiccup with some, uh, some health stuff last year that kind of forced me to resign from River Downs, which is, was one of the toughest decisions I've had to make. I mean, the toughest decision I've had to make as far as uh, work and uh, I miss being there, you know, every day. And, uh, but Jack and them were so great to uh, let me come home and, and deal with my uh, issues I had going on, and uh, I'm a better man for it, and I am uh, very uh, endeared to everybody over there, and I, uh, I miss everybody over there. But, uh, no, Colin Race, I mean, that's what I want to do. I don't uh, – the marketing stuff and the media stuff has been a lot of fun, and it's, I've learned a lot of stuff. Our, our GM here at Portland, Will Allen Pievich, he's uh, given me a lot of uh, advice and, and help on how to – you know, be a little more efficient in the office and doing this media stuff. And so far, it's been pretty successful. But uh, at the end of the day, I just want to be a race caller. I mean, that's kind of my only uh, real goal in this sport. In addition to race calling, Jason, with your finger on the pulse of the action at Portland Meadows, are we marketing correctly to players? Uh, at, at Portland, personally, I think we're getting there. And as a business... Uh, I'm not sure. It, it's a tough line because I've I, I do a lot of guest services stuff, and I hear uh, complaints from horse players. Some of them are very very justified, and some of them are very asinine. And and so I mean, you're never going to satisfy everybody. What, the one thing I've learned, I've when I first got into the, into the announcing and stuff, I, I remember thinking I would just be destroyed if somebody didn't like one of my race calls or thought I was a bad announcer and stuff. But as I've gotten into this business a little more, I've started realizing you're never going to please everybody. What you got to do is, you know, is try to keep as many people happy as you can without, you know, sacrificing certain other things. But uh, it's a hard line because, I mean, you know, we I'm a big believer that the racetracks, the gamblers, and the horsemen all need each other. And so we all need to, you know, make certain concessions, but we all need to expect certain things, and we all need to not disrespect the other parties. You know, a lot of times the horsemen don't care about the gamblers. A lot of times the gamblers don't really care about the horsemen. They want, you know, takeout lowered, and the uh, horsemen want takeout hired, and the track just wants to kind of please everybody, and the track wants to make money, just like everybody else does. So it's a it's a real tough line to toe, and I'm very, very unqualified to, <laughs> to make decisions on, uh, on where the, those lines are supposed to be. But, you know, as a segue right into my next question, it kind of dovetails. As an industry, we're introspectively looking at our sport. Where do we need, if you were the, if you were the end-all, the be-all, the, the king of the sport, where do we need to begin the renovation or the fixer-up or the tonic to cure racing? Man, Augie, that is a question I'm probably not anywhere near qualified to answer. I would say, and that's a, a hat I would never want to wear either, uh, <laughs> be responsible for that many people. But, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff. I, I look at, at what we do in the game, and I think a lot of it is people in the industry. is uh, It's on our shoulders as well. I mean, how many times, you know, do we invite as many people we know out to the track, you know, for, for big events? I, I talked to friends of mine. I said, you know, if, we, if everybody that worked here brought two people, we'd have a huge crowd, you know. And so I think to some degree it's part partly our duty to get people out that we know and, and help them. I mean, it's such an intimidating game when you first come out. One thing I found out, we did a horse racing 101 class this year at the Portland Meadows that I taught. And one of the, the first day we really just spent the whole time discussing how to make a bet and, and, and how to do that, that whole process. Because a lot of times people just, it, it, it is a thinking man's game. And, and a lot of people just think it's animals running around in a circle with a little not very smart man on top of them. And, uh, you know, that's not really the case. It, it is a game where you can, you know, get an advantage at it. It's very hard to get that advantage and find it. But uh, there, there is situations where you can. But I think a lot of new fans, they don't know the terminology because, you know, they haven't been coming since they were seven with their old man. And, uh, you know, they, it's, it's reading the form. I mean, if you open up a race form and you've never seen it before, it, it's the most confusing-looking thing on the planet. So uh, I think fan education maybe is probably a really, really good place to start because, if people don't think a if if somebody is a gambler and they don't think they they can have a winning edge, they're not going to continue in the sport. You know, which is one reason why we need to make sure that you know the takeout in the game is fair and the gamblers have a chance to beat the game because it's a hard game to be as it is. 
uh, let alone at you know twenty something percent of a takeout. So I mean, you got to not only beat the game, you got to beat it plus twenty two percent. So I mean, I think we need to have fans educated so they can get to the point where they you know can have a chance to beat that edge and uh, and create themselves winning players. Because without having winning players, people aren't going to keep coming back. I mean, there's only so much money, and there's so many options for the gambling dollar. That's been one of a, the big crippling things I think for the industry is that there's casinos on every street now there's there's lot i mean the lotteries here in oregon and uh, ohio are very expansive with uh, you know video poker and all these other kind of machines and there's just you know there's only so many dollars that can be spent uh, on gaming and so horse racing instead of you know 30 years ago where it was you know half the pie now it's you know one sliver of it jason real quick when i dig up your uh, you talked about fan education we've got it right here we dig up portland meadows website what do we find F-R-O-T-W. Explain it in brief. So our feature race of the week, we usually uh, just have a feature race of the week that we kind of feature from a certain simulcast track. We give uh, PPs uh, free at the track for that race, and usually our lunch special that day is themed. If it were to be, uh, you know, if the, if the cradle stakes was the feature race of the week, then the uh, special would be a, a four-way chili with uh, spaghetti and whatever else you guys put on that crazy Skyway stuff. Not bad. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just a little promotion trying to. Uh, we usually don't take the most obvious race of the week. I mean, if it's you know the Kentucky Derby, we usually take you know one of the undercard races or something like that to try to get people to uh, you know pay attention to some of the other signals. We do a lot of stuff from Woodbine and those kind of places as well. It sounds like you're having fun. It sounds like you're doing a daggone good job, Jason. On behalf of Winning Ponies, we'd like to thank you for taking time to be with us. I have to say personally, it was definitely a pleasure working with you. And best of luck, my friend, with your meet. It's been a pleasure. I hope we get to work again someday sooner than later, buddy. Yes, sir. Thanks again, Jason. All right, Eddie. Jason Beam of Portland Meadows. He's the voice. He's the man behind the action, and he's one of the good guys at racing. And trust me, in a few years, you're going to be seeing him on a major circuit. Well, time to head to a break. We'll return. We're going to be talking to our man, Dangerous Dan, here on Winning Ponies. now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up, speak up or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. When you have a stroke, you may not even notice it right away. But then... Time passes... And the symptoms get worse. One minute you feel fine, and the next, your speech could be slurred or not make sense. One side of your body might become numb. You might see double. You drop the TV remote because you can't hold up your arm. That's because after a stroke, every minute you don't get help is another minute that your brain is being starved of oxygen. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience any of these warning signs, call 911 immediately, because time lost is brain lost. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE-TODAY. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of Horstradamus, handicapper extraordinaire with the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. The opening kickoff is a beauty. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. Your 
tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, Ed Meyer. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with Ed or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com. Now back to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. And welcome back once again to Winning Ponies. I'm Ed Meyer. Each and every Thursday, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. Talking about the sport of kings, we just finished up with Jason Bean from Portland Meadows. Daggone good guy. Trust me, next few years you'll be seeing him on the major circuits. This guy really does very well with racing. As you heard before, you can dial us up at 1-888-346-9144, 1-888-346-9144, or you can shoot me an email at ed at winningponies.com. I'd love to hear from you. I will answer you back. We still got a trivia question out there. Ryan Patterson took a shot at it. Who was the first horse to beat Seattle Slough? I'm even going to give the year in the race, 1977 swaps. Heck, I'll give you the jocks, John Kruger, Billy Turner. Who was the first horse to beat Seattle Slough? That's a pretty tough one. And talking about tough ones, we got our man, Dangerous Dan, is online, I believe. Dangerous, are you there? Ed, can you hear me? I can hear you, my boy. How are you? I'm doing well. How was your holiday? It was great. And yours, sir? Oh, it was good. Good. I, I ran into you at Turfway a couple times. I was kind of surprised. Uh, what do you mean you're surprised? You, 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 me at the track? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where, where would, I mean, where would you likely meet me? I mean, come on. You, you, did, you didn't catch me, you know, just out, you know, tossing apples somewhere. I mean, it was at the track. Dan, we look for your picks each and every week. And when I did run into you, you were doing pretty well. And you said you have a few runners here that you'd actually like to talk about for Saturday's races. Yeah, I like a few horses here, and I think it uh, may get may get a price on one or two of these. Uh, the ninth, let's go to the ninth of Fairgrounds, Ed. The, the LeCompte Grade Three, uh, $100,000, scoring a mile. These are very uh, unproven horses at the distance. I, I really like the outside horse here, Indigo Mountain. Indigo Mountain is trained by Brett Calhoun. He's a, he's a three-year-old colt um, by APND out of a mountain cat mare. If you look at that Churchill race, he ran a 135 and two mile. That, that's a pretty quick mile. He broke his maiden wire to wire pr- practically. Sat right off, went by, went off at nine to five that day in a field of ten. One pretty easy with Jamie Terrio in the irons. Stepping up to a grade three, I don't see a problem. Um, he's three to one morning line. He should be be able from to be able to stalk from right off the pace from that outside post position, and I, I think he'll he'll get the money. You know, Dan, I kind of like him, uh, Jamie Terrio, or his friends call him Jamie the Riot, writing for Brett Calhoun uh, last year. They were uh, in 2008. They were 30 percent in as a winner together in 21 percent thus far. 2008, 2009, just kicking off with 19 mounts. X is off, and the thing that really kind of caught my eye was a 92 speed rating. Actually, the the uh, the par for the day was right around, I'm going to say, 89. So 92 was a pretty hefty maiden win. The, the most impressive part to me, this is a $600,000 three-year-old Colt by AP Indy, and Brad Calhoun does very well with the youngsters. Yeah, and AP Indy, I mean, the longer they go, the better. Uh, the horse to his inside, Uno Mas, I like underneath of him. Uh, Steve Asmussen, uh, Macho Uno, three-year-old Colt, uh, ran a nice mile fairgrounds, 137-4, and uh, allowance non-winner other than one time. Uh, look, looks pretty good underneath, and maybe even Big Push. If you look at Big Push, Big Push kind of kind of strikes me as a horse that, that his work took something out of him. Uh, back on December 14th, this horse worked four furlongs of 47-3 breezing, was the best work out of 147 horses that day. Ran him uh, six days later, just missed by a head in the Sugar Bowl. May want to give his horse a better shot here. It looks like they took back on him in the latest work on January 4th, uh, went 4-49 and breezing. I think that work might have took something out of him the last time. Might want to give that horse another shot underneath of uh, Indigo Mountain. I kind of like him. Uh... You've got uh, Richard Scher, Miguel Mena doing very well, just uh, finished second by a head there, didn't do very, didn't do too bad at all, really. Uh, but but I'm, I'm going to go with Indigo Mountain right with you. I'm going to say that I'm going to go with Dangerous Dan. Dan, give us pick number two, my friend. Let's go out to, uh, let's go out to Gulfstream, uh, ninth race at Gulfstream on Saturday. That's your stomping ground, isn't it? Please? That's your stomping ground. 
Well, Golf Stream is. I'm more of a Tampa Bay Downs kind of guy. Actually, I'll be there next Friday. If you see, if people are there and they see somebody in a winning Tony's hat, it's probably me. Uh huh. Uh, say hi. Maybe a Golf Stream next Saturday. I'm going to Florida, but I will be uh, calling in next Thursday with some picks for you. Excellent. A man on the scene. The ninth at Golf Stream this week, the Fort Lauderdale, uh, mile and sixteenth on the turf for four year olds and up. I like Buffalo Man. Buffalo Man trained by Cam Gumbelotti. Uh, El Prado, five-year-old horse. He's hooked some good ones recently in the Shed Mile, Shedwell Mile at, at Keeneland. He only lost by four lengths. He, he ran against the likes of Thorn Song and Shaquise. Came back and ran a third uh, to formal decree. Um, the horse seems to like golf He's been on the turf course there once. He won. He won the Appleton last year. And the nine starts on the turf, three wins. He got A. a Barcoa. Uh, I, I like this horse's chances of five to one. You know, I, I always used to butcher it. It was an A-bar, I-bar. I never understood. You, know, you, you being a Florida man, you, you had the, uh, the N-word connection. You know, I kind of go to Wesley. You know, J.J. Castellano there. You got another $450,000 sales purchase from Keeneland Ring, uh, son of El Prado, exiting the grade to Jamaica, Danny boy. A mile and a 16th on the weeds. But, I mean, if you take a look, grade two, grade three, grade two, and then back to allowance company. I don't think this four-year-old Colt has been able to really stretch his legs in the company that he that he really wants to keep. Go back two works ago, December thirtieth, at Payson Park, which the main course of Payson Park is usually very deep. So if you see a fast work there, really book it quick. But the turf is usually really true. Five furlongs, fifty-nine and four. First of eight. You know they don't work a whole lot on the turf, as you well know. But actually, five for eight in the money. But I, I think I'm going to hit the box up with you. I mean, there's a little bit of speed in there with Cherokee Triangle. I think you've heard of Cherokee Triangle. Yeah, I believe uh, he, he ran in the cradle, ran second, and I uh, believe he won a, uh, a race down in uh, Louisiana. Uh, after that, I believe the Sunday silence by, I think, ten lengths. <laughs> yeah, he smoked them in the Miller Lake Cradle Stakes. He ran against Old Man Buck, who ran in the Breeders' Cup, correct, on day one? That is correct, and I and, uh, still believe I, I love right. I love Rafael Bayrano. I still think if Oots would have stayed on the horse, if McPeak would have given him a shot, I think he would have he might have got a better better ride out of him. I think I mean, that uh, Bayrano took him a little too wide on the turn. But digressing is Bayrano one of the best that you've seen up? Oh, up definitely, coming? definitely. You know, I was talking to someone today, and you know, we, we were talking, you know, and just kind of give and take about guys we've seen. You know, the the whole racing game as a whole. Who have you seen in your life? And we both kind of agreed on, you know, there's a guy in the last four to five years, Bejarano, everything this guy gets on. You can play, Dan. I mean, 20 to 1, the dangerous Dan can play 20 to 1, 50 to 1, 10 to 1, 3 to 2. He gives you all he's got. Yes, he does. And the thing is, is that he's so patient. He's so patient. Uh, the same way with Julian Lepereau. I mean, you, you could think that his horses beat down the lane. I mean, it just looks like... And out of nowhere, he just his horse gets something extra, and and he looks beat, and yet he still, he'll still get up and win. He reminds me of, of Pat Day. In, in, in oh, I was just going to say that he has the salt-handed look, how he gets on the front end and just makes him hate it. Is he looks like he's beaten collar, but he always finds a little down the lane. That is true. Okay, true. and your third big dangerous dance selection of the week. I, I really, I really like this horse here. We're going to the eleventh at Turfway. Uh, 25th running of the Wishingwell Stakes for Phillies and Mares, four-year-olds and upward. Uh, going six furlongs here. You know, my parents used to always tell me, respect your elders. And I think people need to respect the horse. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are, you, are you slamming me now? I'm going to the... <laughs> I mean, that was much older than me, buddy. Uh, nine-year-old Mare here. Let's go to the nine, a fleet angel. Nine-year-old Mare. Last year won $168,000 on nine races. Uh, look, Paula Bacon trains this horse. Uh, this horse is owned by Lori Rice and was bred by Brett Rice. Now, there was a trainer down in Tampa named Don Rice who passed away, I believe it was last year. Um, Paul used to ride for him quite a bit when she was a rider, and he used to talk about bacon and rice. Well, Don was the leading trainer at Tampa for years and years and years. And I believe this may have some kind of connection here. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it just seems too coincidental. Um, Wilford Lozano Jr. is riding this horse. If you look at the running lines on this horse, he rode him at Prescott Island in a hundred thousand dollar race and won. He went up the Woodbine with this horse, with this mare, and and got beat. 
Um, came back, won the holiday inaugural. Willie Martinez rode him that day, rode her that day. Horse is one for one at Turfway. But what impresses me, her synthetic record, she's had seven starts, four wins, a second and a third. I think the synthetic track has really uh, gave this mare a, a lease on life. She's running a, a, at nine years old very consistently in decent, uh, decent you know, money races at nine years old. That, that doesn't always happen. I, I, I agree with you completely there, Dan. And when you're playing a nine-year-old, I mean, I'm not going to say you're going out on a limb. I mean, but there's a reason the trainer, the connections, they actually feel that this nine-year-old should still be on the track because she's probably got the moxie. But, you know, in the, in the, in the wishing well, now I know that the rail probably hasn't been the kindest place to terrible. run a turfway. Agreed? It's terrible, Ed. I, I like vote early, too, but I, it, it, <laughs> that, 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 that's probably one of the reasons I went against vote early was the rail. Um, if... If Thorworth gets gets her out, gets her settled, and maybe makes one move wide, might might get a piece. But I like Bella Cozy second, and you may want to use Schoolgirl along with that. Uh, Schoolgirl Paul McGee horse, who uh, looks like he made a middle move and faded. Well, dangerous. It sounds good to me. I hope the people have been writing them down because you have been hot as of late. Dan, I'd like to thank you for. Always staying with us, and next week you're going to be the man on the scene, and we always look forward to hearing from our good man, Dangerous Dan. Have a good evening, Ed. You as well, Dangerous. All right, it's time for a break. When we return, I'm going to be taking down some winners for the upcoming weekend here on Winning Ponies. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of Horse Stradamus, handicapper extraordinaire with the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. When you have a stroke, you may not even notice it right away, but then time passes. And the symptoms get worse. One minute you feel fine, and the next, your speech could be slurred or not make sense. One side of your body might become numb. You might see double. You drop the TV remote because you can't hold up your arm. That's because after a stroke, every minute you don't get help is another minute that your brain is being starved of oxygen. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face, arm, or leg, sudden trouble seeing, speaking, or understanding. If you experience any of these warning signs, call 911 immediately, because time lost is brain lost. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. to the pros we, we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports you're tuned in to winning ponies with your host ed meyer got a tip for us need a tip from us if you want to talk with ed or his guests the phone lines are now open toll free at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com now back to winning ponies with ed meyer and welcome back once again to winning ponies i'm ed meyer as we enter the final furlong of this week's show I'd like to thank Jason Beam of Portland Meadows, the voice and marketing guru, and uh, a man that you're going to be hearing from down the line. And as usual, our man Dangerous Dan, the handicapping man, this guy can really pull out some winners, so you're definitely going to need to get your pencil pen out when he starts uh, chattering off some winners because Dan really, he really does his homework, and he really takes the game very seriously, and he's one to be reckoned with. 
All right, it is that time where we uh, toss out some winners. But before then, since nobody actually snabbed it, I'm going to give out the trivia question answer. Who was the first horse to beat Seattle Slough? It is a toughie. It was J.O. Tobin in the 1977 Swaps at Hollywood Park. Jean Cruget was aboard. And also, Seattle Slough was trained by Billy Turner. He didn't feel the Slough was ready for this race. And actually, he stopped training the animal. And after the defeat, didn't race for one whole year, and then was picked up by the services of Angel Cordero. So only two riders, Jean Cruget and Angel Cordero, to ride the slew, but Billy Turner definitely knew what he was talking about. All right, let's talk about some horses. Let's talk about some winners for the weekend here. Let's go. You know, we're going to kick it off on Friday. Aqueduct, third race. Let's take a look at the five, Thunder Roar. we got Rajiv Marat for John Kimmel. John Kimmel is uh, notoriously a New York man, and uh, it's been a, a little bit of an off-track, a sealed sloppy track, and there's been a plenty of moisture involved in it. There's been speed closers. Uh, the biases have erupted. They've disappeared. But I'm going to go to Thunder Roar in here, run against Hainesfield, and run a beautiful fourth. It says lack to rally, but Hainesfield was such in control that day in the Damon Runyon, and there is no Hainesfield in here. Hainesfield came back and smoked them, and, and I, I, I think you're not going to get much of a price here. So you're going to have to dig down deep, and you're going to have to find a little bit of exotic action. Rajiv Murat and John Kimmel, they, they do well together. And actually, it, uh, two races ago, broke his maiden in Aqueduct. Uh, three back on the turf. You can throw that race out completely. Fourth against Hainesfield. There is no Hainesfield in here. And dropping from an allowance 83 into state-bred allowance, one other than is just what the doctor ordered. Thunder Roar. Bet early, bet often, and that's kicking off in a third at Aqueduct tomorrow. And then we're going to go to the weekend. Let's go to Saturday, and let's start off with the seventh at Turfway Park, 7,500, three lifetime. We're going to go six panels in here. And, boy, I hope I get this name right. If not, Derby Dan, Dangerous Dan, and everybody's going to slam me. It's Grand Damn Slam. Bill Troilo for Joe Woodard, fresh off of a claim and wins by three lengths. I believe this four-year-old Colt by Grand Slam is going to do a really big number on them. Two for two in the money at Turfway Park. Three for four on the all-weather surface overall. Very impressive indeed. Grand Am Slam shows a little bit of a stalking style. And Joe Woodard and Billy, Tra- uh, Billy Troilo in the last 60 days are winning 50% together, 64% in the money, going six and a half to six furlongs, but actually jumping up in class, and Joe Wittard wins 40% in the money on this. Up one class, he's 40% in the money as well. I like Bill Troilo and Joe Wittard aboard Grand Dam Slam in the seventh at Turfway on Saturday. On to race number 11, the $50,000 wishing well. You heard Dan and I, we were chatting about this. I'm going to go to the rail, and only reason I'm going to the rail is because I believe Vote Early can get off of the rail. The outsiders have been closing like gangbusters. Helen Pitts, one-time uh, assistant for Ken McPeak, actually, this was a, a, a nice little six-year-old mare that was trained by Stephen Margolis, actually transferred to the Pitts barn here. Vote Early will be gangbusters. Take a look at the comments the last two times. Split horses gaining, two back Six wide and finish well, and there is plenty of speed with uh, with Pola's place and uh, Mrs. Petoskey. I think Vote Early and Otto Thorworth can really get the job done. This guy can horseback. And Vote Early right along the inside, I think it's really going to pick up the pieces nicely. But I don't think she has to stay on the rail. She can swing out and go 15 wide, land, or two back, six wide. That in the tail tells you that she doesn't have to be stuck down on the rail. So in the 11th race at Turfway on Saturday, I like vote early and vote often. And then we go to the third at Gulfstream. I'm going to go with Umbra. We're a mile and a 16th on the turf. Abarcoa for Todd Pletcher made a middle move last time out. Aqueduct on the turf made a real nice run. Looked like, looked like a big-time winner. Beaten favored. The dam actually has four starters with three winners. I like Todd Pletcher. It was a $230,000 it was a Florida sales purchase through the, uh, through the ring. Todd Pletcher and Koa, they, they do very, very well together. Had a very nice weather, very nice work at Palm Meadows. And, and I can't say enough about this with youngsters. 
right now you need to pay attention to the works. So in the third and golf stream on Saturday, I love Umbra. And then we're going to go to the ninth at Gulfstream. The ninth at Gulfstream, it is the Fort Lauderdale $100,000. Once again, a mile and a 16th on the turf. I believe Dangerous Dan, like Buffalo Man in there. And, you know, I respect that call, but I'm going to go to the nine-year-old horse, Silver Tree, Robbie Alvarado, who today, he stung the world. I mean, he didn't sting it because he had an upset, but he actually had a very nice runner for Kenny McPeak, and you can read all about that on the Blood Horse, or you can read it on Thoroughbred Times. Robbie Alvarado is a rider to be reckoned with. He's a man who is coming into his own. Third off of a layoff for Silver Tree, this nine-year-old horse by, by Hennessy is actually a horse for a course, seven for seven in the money at Gulfstream, backing off from a mile and an eighth to a mile and a sixteenth for me. That is what the doctor really called for, a grade three in the tropical, now to a $100,000 race in the Fort Lauderdale. This is still a very, very nice race, but I think Silver Tree is starting to get up there a little bit in years. I don't think we're going to see the Breeders' Cup on the line, but you know what? Silver Tree can clean up all of the $100,000 races that, uh, that, that he actually really wants. So I love Silver Tree in the ninth at Gulfstream in the Fort Lauderdale. Then I go on the 10th race at Gulfstream. This is my power play of the weekend, and I actually love it. It is Quality Road. Alan Garcia for James Jerkins wins by two and three-quarter lengths. Stings them big time. Six and a half furlongs and one sixteen flat. Six and a half furlongs up to seven furlongs for that day. I think Quality Road is my play of the weekend. That is in the 10th race at Gulfstream. A very nice little allowance race. Well, time flies when you're talking horses. Winning Ponies would like to thank Mr. Jason Beam from Portland Meadows as our special guest of the week. And our man, Dangerous Dan, for his red hot selections. And you for tuning in. Until next week, may all your winners be many. And your photos be few. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.